Do you need help protecting your finances as you enter retirement? David Dickens of KC Financial Advisors has got you covered. Welcome to the Cover Your Assets KC podcast. Well, hey there. Welcome to another edition of Cover Your Assets KC. Walter Storholt alongside David Dickens, President, Wealth Advisor at KC Financial Advisors in Overland Park, the uh, main office location. Find us online at CoverYourAssetsKC.com. David, great to be with you this week. How are things in your world? Well, things are pretty good. I I hesitated, knowing I was going to talk with you this morning, I just hesitated thinking that I would even mention the Chiefs game from last Sunday. But <laughs> It's still in my mind, so anyway, I just get that out of the way and say, wow, that was a bit of a shocker for me. But you know what? As most of the NFL gets to say, maybe next year. Maybe next year. Oh, that's a great way to, a great way to put it. There, there is always next year, and uh, boy, still, I think the Chiefs are going to be there just every single year for the next several years. It's just hard to see them falling very far from the top in terms of contention, so think you guys will be in quite the string of playoffs over the next several seasons and always competing for the top spot. So well, I know not, a lot not too of much Kansas to cry Cityans about. are definitely counting on that. Yes, <laughs> so, yes. We'll, you don't, we'll don't want to go back to the days of not making the playoffs. Right? <laughs> no, and we had plenty of those for a decade and a half. No longer, no longer. Uh, we've got a great show today. We've been uh, seeing some some volatility in the market, David. I'm glad we're going to take the chance on today's episode to kind of talk about this a little bit. As always, we put these episodes out there with the context uh, whenever we talk more specific about markets and, and stocks and that kind of thing is it's obviously changing constantly. So just take into the context if you're listening to this show in 2024 you know, realize that we taped this episode in 2022, and uh, it is it is the beginning of the new month, so February 1st is the day that we're taping this. So even if you're listening to this on February 3rd, I don't know, something dramatic could have happened between now and then. So just always have that kind of, uh, you know, in the back of your mind as we walk through the conversation. But we've kind of have a little bit of a, uh, a swoon in the January stock market as we look back over the previous month. And Things were going so well in 2021, right, David? And now we, we start off the new year with a little bit of a, I don't know, punch to the gut, perhaps? What's been your read on the situation? Yeah, I think that's why, uh, and, and maybe maybe I'll, I'll start with the end in mind. We're going to finish today with something kind of like, so what do we do now? So what we're going to talk about early on in the middle is, well, what is this and, and should I care? And then finish up with what, I, what we do now. So... You know, it, I think this is weird because, and a lot of times this happens though in the market. January fourth, we were at new all-time highs in the S and P five hundred. That was three and a half weeks ago, and GDP growth was good. Fourth quarter ended up was the expectation was that it was going to be good, and it actually was good as it was announced earlier this week. Corporate earnings, well, they were slowing, but they had been so crazy good coming out of the COVID stall that uh, everybody knew, well, those are still going to be growing and interest rates are incredibly low and have been for a long time. So that was the setup as we came into January. And uh, the old saying in, in the, my business, the money management business, is that, that the stock market goes up using the stairs and it comes down using the elevator. Ooh, I, I haven't heard that, David. I like that. And boy, oh boy, we had quite an elevator ride these last three weeks. So that's really w- what we want to talk about over the next you know, 10 or 15 minutes and then hope to figure out where we're going to go. All right, perfect. So what, what was the change then? We go from all-time highs to the punch in the gut. 
Yeah, so I, I can think of kind of three things that stand out to me. Persistent inflation. Now, we did a podcast, gosh, I don't know, summer maybe or early fall where I was on, the, on board with the Fed that this inflation was more temporary than permanent. And I still believe that. It's just it's been more temporary. It's been temporary longer than I think either I or a lot of the folks at the Federal Reserve Bank expected. But so we've got persistent inflation. And that causes, I think the main, other than some pain in the pocketbook when you go to the grocery store, or if you happen to be needing to buy a new car or a used car, it really causes fear that the Fed is going to do something and in particular, do something stupid like they have done in the past. The Fed has two, two mandates. One is that they have full employment in the United States. And the other one is that they maintain an environment where there's low and, and steady inflation. That Nobody wants zero inflation, and they certainly don't want deflation. But you just kind of want low and steady inflation. And their target has always, has forever been 2%. So the first thing that changed was that inflation has been more persistent than most people thought it was going to be. The second is we've got rising geopolitical risk. And in particular, you can think of Russia and Ukraine. Russia's putting a lot of troops on their border. The Eurozone is now heavily dependent upon Russia for natural gas, for oil, for a lot of their, their what's going to keep them warm this winter. And so that causes a lot of focus and uncertainty on that whole relationship and how it relates to our our biggest friends and trading partners, that would be Europe. North Korea is shooting off missiles that are going uh, outside of the atmosphere and what might they deliver if they wanted to as far as a nuclear weapon. And then COVID lockdowns, that, that is just, we're two years into this thing and it just seems very persistent. But the lockdowns in China, where a lot of our supply, supply chain problems have come from. So that uncertainty and then third and probably biggest is the uncertainty surrounding what is the Fed going to do? They have been telegraphing for quite some time that they're going to taper or reduce the amount of bonds that they buy in the open market. Uh, but, but in December, they came out and said, you know what? Based on inflation, we're going to have to increase the speed with which we taper those purchases. And then we're probably going to start raising the Fed funds rate. No, I'm not going to backfill too much, but the Fed has been buying $120 billion worth of treasury securities and uh, mortgage-backed securities, basically a mix between the two, for months and months and months and months. And what they said was, you know what, the economy's doing okay. We're going to start dialing that back. And originally, they were going to be done with those purchases in June. And then they came out and said, eh, we better stop in, in March. We better get all the way down to zero purchases by March. Then they said, well, we're going to raise Fed funds, which is the only rate that they actually control. A lot of people think that they control a lot of interest rates. They control one rate, and that's the overnight rate. And they said, you know, we probably need to raise that, raise that three or four times this year. A whole lot of market participants have said they're going to have to do six or seven times. So that's creating a lot of uncertainty. And then the, the last thing that the Fed said is instead of quantitative easing, that buying of $120 billion of securities every month, we're going to get to zero in March, and then at some point in 2022, we're going to do some quantitative tightening. And all that means is, instead of buying securities every month, they might start selling off some of the $9 trillion worth of securities they have in their balance sheet. So those are the big changes, and all of it's very uncertain right now. 
Nobody certainly knows what's going to happen with Russia and Ukraine. We expect to see continued drops in inflation, but some things are going to continue to inflate, like rents. And then the Fed is going to do what they believe they should do on a meeting by meeting basis. But that doesn't stop the market from building in expectations. And in this case, they're building in expectations that are in excess of what the Fed says it's going to do. So that's what changed. <laughs> and those are some pretty big changes. Certainly are. Um, some of them steady, some of them sudden. But when you combine them all, yeah, it's when you, and when you list them out that way, David, the list piles up a little bit. So would you say, I mean, I know this is kind of an official term, right? A correction? Are the markets in that right now, in a correction? Yeah, so, so a correction is, is defined as going 10% down from an all-time high. So then the question is, well, is that intraday or just on the close? And you kind of make up, everybody makes up their own rules for, for which that is. But the NASDAQ, the tech-heavy NASDAQ, is absolutely in a correction. It's down, you know, 13 or 14 or 15, intraday, maybe 18%. Uh, small caps, those are definitely in a correction, like the Russell 2000. The S&P, 500, well, maybe it is. It was down slightly more than 10% intraday, but it has not closed 10% down from that all-time high that it hit on uh, January 4th. And the Dow, no. So as a general rule, I'd say we are close enough on all of those indicators to say, yeah, we're having a correction right now, and it's probably a very healthy one. So just to to break it out a little bit finer. The biggest correction has been in growth stocks and not so much in value stocks. Growth stocks are, are typically those that don't, they have low or no dividend. They have really high sales growth and modest or sometimes no profit. So uh, if, you, if you look at the, uh, the ETF that is the S&P 500 iShares growth ETF, the biggest holdings, and these will sound like growth companies to you, are the biggest uh, by, by weight in, these, in this ETF are Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, Google, Facebook, Tesla, and NVIDIA. So yeah, those all sound like the normal culprits of being high growth, high flying companies. Value companies, on the other hand, are things that have moderate to higher dividends. So they, they, are, they, they pay a steady dividend. They have relatively steady earnings. They tend to be brand names, not that the, the growth stocks I mentioned aren't brand names. But in the, um, in the ETF, the iShares ETF that is made up of the biggest and best value companies, those top holdings are Berkshire Hathaways, Johnson & Johnson, Procter & Gamble, Exxon, Chevron, United Health. Walt Disney, J.P. Morgan, those types of companies, Coca-Cola, companies that are very much household names. They've been around for a long time. They generate a lot of revenue. They're super important to our economy. And they are much less volatile than the growth companies that I mentioned. So we have had way more of a sell-off in the growth companies than we have in the value companies. Um, Interesting to see so, the yeah. differences between those two. Yep, big differences in in the way those companies are run and in the expectations for the future. And so that's a reasonable understanding as to why growth companies would have sold off more than value companies. 
So do corrections really matter then? I mean, is that something that you're kind of constantly on the lookout for or worried about or or focusing on? Or do you you tend not to put a whole lot of your time and energy into worrying about it? Well, so corrections only matter if they turn into bear markets. And bear markets are the definition there is when you're more than 20% down from an all-time high. So corrections matter from that standpoint. But I think the thing that really matters about a correction is the volatility that accompanies all corrections. And so I'm not going to get into you know, where vol is uh, on, because vol is, uh, is a traded commodity. Volatility is. But here's a couple of stats that I found that I thought were really important. Since 1928, well, first of all, volatility is important because it makes us do emotional things with our money that tend to be stupid in the rearview mirror. And so the one thing you want to make sure you don't do in a correction is become emotional about your money. Sometimes harder said than done. But since 1928, the S&P has had a 5% drop about every two months on average. Since 1928, are you kidding me? Since the same time frame, the S&P 500 has had a 10% drop about every six months. Now, we didn't have one in 2021, which makes it a little more difficult the next time one comes around, like right now. Another thing to think about regarding volatility and corrections as opposed to bear markets is, since 1980, the S&P has had intra-year declines of just about 14%, despite going on to post positive gains in almost 80% of those 41 years. So volatility happens almost every year, and a 10% drop is a very regular thing. What you don't know is, until you have hindsight, is that 10% drop going to turn into a 25 or a 35 or a 50% drop? And that's what I want to avoid. And so when it goes down 10%, a lot of times what you do is say, oh my gosh, this might be it. I better run for cover. And that's, <laughs> that's almost always turns into a very bad decision. So if this turns into a bear market down more than 20%, then that is when you want to be on a lookout for some indicators that are going to tell you this is volatility to respect or this is volatility to ignore. And without going into that in this podcast, there are certain indicators that I use to look at that. But the biggest and longest downturns in our history, the the ones you want to avoid, the, the 40 and 50 and 55 percenters, those almost always historically coincide with economic recessions in this country where GDP growth is negative for a period of time. And right now, based on the evidence we have in hand, a recession warning is not one of those things that I mentioned up front that have changed. We do have persistent inflation. We do have rising geopolitical risk. We do have a Fed that is beginning to come into play. But a recession is not imminent. So that's how I view the current recession. It's volatility that we need to be aware of, but at this moment, not run from. Helpful to put that perspective in place there, David. So I guess that everybody knows that nobody really knows what's going on. <laughs> um, you know, like that's not the, the most earth shattering news. We've been trumpeting that horn for quite some time that uh, you can't predict these things. But uh, all that being said, I still like to try and get you to give some some predictions and prognostications. So where where do we go from here? 
Yeah, so I think the goal right now is to make sure that you stay unemotional. If you're emotional, that might mean that you have too much in the market. Um, so the evidence in hand that we have right now says that this is normal and to be expected volatility that you experience based on the, the stats that I read off since 1928. But we're also late in this cycle. That doesn't mean that we're going to have a recession in the next even 12 or 18 months. We might, but there's no evidence of that. But we are late cycle. We are not just coming out of the last recession. And we're unlikely to be a mid-cycle where we have a lot of room to run. But we do have a Fed at the turning point. And those turning points, when the Fed actually does start to crank up rates, history would tell you that the impact on the market, other than a knee-jerk reaction that we're having right now, the actual impact on the market and the economy tends to take many months and quarters, economic calendar quarters, to actually work its way into economic activity. So they're at a turning point, but we have a ways to run before the changes they make actually start to influence our economy, corporate profits, and then ultimately the stock market. And we've had a big run up from all time, you know, to all time highs. 2021 was a big run up. And so to have a, a pause here of 10% is totally normal and to be expected. So what I'm expecting is that we see a nice little rebound here, maybe back to the all time highs, or maybe even to new all time highs. What we need to watch is what is the Fed actually doing? Right now, they have jawboned this thing into a 10% correction, and they haven't done a thing except stop adding as much money to the, to the bond market as they had been adding. They haven't raised a rate. They haven't totally stopped buying bonds, yet people have you know, reacted in, a, in an knee-jerk fashion. So we do need to watch the Fed. We need to make sure that, that we don't see overreaction on their part. We need to watch the inflation data. And inflation is likely, the headline number is likely to continue to increase since rents are a lagging indicator in that, and they're going to continue to go up. But one thing I'm, that makes me sanguine about the inflation outlook is, you look at the 10-year Treasury note. Now, you know, it wasn't that long ago that it was below 1.5%. But even right now, I'm looking at it right now today, and it's 1.79% for a 10-year Treasury. Inflation a lot of the talking heads on TV are saying it's running at 7%. Okay, technically it is running at 7%, but the bond market is way bigger than the stock market. And the bond market, most market historians would tell you, <laughs> tends to lead the stock market. The bond market is not concerned about 7% inflation. Otherwise, the 10 year would not be at 1.79%. You got junk bonds that are at three and four and four and a half percent. So right now, there's no evidence other than a lot of fear and concern by talking heads on TV that inflation is going to be running at 5 or 6 or 7% a year from now. If it is, then the 10-year is going to be dramatically higher than it is right now. And the Fed is going to be dramatically more active. And we do need to keep an eye on that. So if I see the 10-year go to 25 or 3%, well, that's going to change a lot of the way I look at the world. But right now, we're sitting at still at very low rates. And there's trillions of dollars in the bond market that are betting on the fact that they know what they're doing. And then um, I think lastly, Walter, I would just encourage everybody to make sure 
that the portfolio you have right now, whether that's in your 401k or in a rollover that maybe you manage outside, maybe it's with your advisor, maybe it's uh, a, a non-IRA that you're, maybe some inherited money or whatever it is, but make sure that your portfolio aligns with your retirement goals. Now, if you're in your 30s, 20s, 30s, or 40s, you should love a correction like this because all that means for you is stocks are on sale. If you're in your 70s or six, late 60s, maybe you're thinking about retiring or, or early 60s and you're saying, wow, 10%, what if it goes down 40? Then you got to make sure that the amount of, of stock you have in your portfolio, if you're 90% allocated to the market and you're nervous, well, maybe it's because your portfolio was over allocated to risk assets and your retirement goals may not require that you have 90% allocated to risk assets. You might be able to do just perfectly well with the retirement plan you have in your brain on 60 or 65 or 70% stock instead of the 90 that you might have right now in your 401k because uh, you don't regularly rebalance or things have been going up for a long time and it just gravi- you just gravitated toward the, the best earning alternatives that you have, which over the last five or eight years has been stock portfolios. So this is a good time to do a checkup on your own emotion, on your own portfolio, and make sure that all of that aligns with your retirement goals. If you haven't set retirement goals, then please go back and listen to the, the, the podcast we started off this year with. Make sure you know exactly where you are, where you're trying to get to, and then make sure your investments line up with those goals. Fantastic, David, and I appreciate you guiding us through this conversation today. If this sparks some questions in your mind, if your gut's been turned upside down maybe a little bit as you've seen the the ebbs and flows of the market over the last couple of weeks, well, that might be a sign that it's a good time to get a review of your financial plan, and you can reach out to David to schedule that time to visit and go over your plan, talk about what needs to be improved. Uh, Give a call to 913-317-1414. That's 913-317-1414. Or go online to CoverYourAssetsKC.com. That's CoverYourAssetsKC.com, your place to go for more information and to listen to past episodes of the show and to get in touch. And we'll put the contact info in the description of today's show to make everything easy on you. Uh, David, appreciate the guidance. Really appreciate the help. And uh, we'll have another episode on tap next week. Yeah, now that I've laid out all these fairly specific thoughts, it'll be kind of interesting to see how it all unfolds. That's right. Our eyes will be uh, on it and peeled for more, uh, as they always are. And uh, we appreciate it. Uh, Thanks so much for joining us. We'll talk to everybody next time right back here on Cover Your Assets, KC. Investment advisory services offered through ChangePath LLC, a registered investment advisor. ChangePath LLC and KC Financial Advisors are separate companies.